I'd like to start by asking you a question, which is probably going to sound a little strange in terms of how does this fit into a Christmas emphasis, but you'll understand in a few minutes why I'm asking this question. The question is this, how do you feel about dying? Dying. When you think about your death, what kind of emotions rise up in your hearts? This last week, I read about a man named Carl Lundquist, who was a Bible college president in the U.S. Godly man, trusted Jesus Christ, served the Lord many, many years. When he was in a hospital room one afternoon, though, the doctor walked in after running some tests and said, I'm, I'm very sorry to tell you that you have a, a very rare and an incurable form of cancer. Now, we know that God can heal cancer. We'd love to pray for the sick here, but we also know that that's not always his will. It's not always his will to heal in this life. And that was the case here. It was God's will to bring Carl Lundquist home. And a few months later, as he was nearing death, he wrote a letter to his closest friends, and he wanted to tell them what God had done in his heart that afternoon right after the doctor came and gave him that news. Here's what he wrote. That day in the hospital room when the doctor had left, I picked up my Bible. I turned to Philippians chapter 1 and read verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Gain. Then he said, I discovered that a verse I had lived by in good health was also a verse I could live by in ill health. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Hallelujah. That's what he wrote. So when he heard the bad news about his disease, he had no fear of death. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, hallelujah, is what he wrote. Now we're going through a sermon series on why Jesus was born. And today we're going to see that one of the reasons Jesus was born was to free Carl Lindquist and each of us from fear of death. That's one of the reasons that Jesus came to be born. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. So let's turn there in our Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. A little bit of background about the letter to the Hebrews. It was written around the year 60 to 70 AD, 60 to 70 years after Jesus had been born. And it was written to believers who were suffering, going through trials, in many cases facing death. So let's look at what the author writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And as we read this, I want to walk us through it and point out to you the three main points in these verses and the reasons the author gives to support those main points. That's the most important thing when we're 
reading the scriptures, what's the author's flow of thought? That is, what's his main points and what reasons does he give to support them? Let's start with verse 14 and see what we discover. Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore, it's a crucial word, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Now, let's just pause there. The children in, these verse, in this verse are all those who are trusting Jesus. We know that from the previous verses. And that word since right there shows that this statement is a reason for what's to come. It's since the children, all of us who are trusting Jesus, since the children share in flesh and blood, therefore, the rest of verse 14, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So that's the first main point. Jesus became flesh and blood to destroy the devil's power to take us to eternal death. Keep that in mind. Now verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now the word and at the beginning of verse 15 shows that this is a second main point. Namely, Jesus became flesh and blood to deliver us from lifelong slavery to the fear of death. That's the second main point. And then verse 16 gives a reason for that main point. Verse 16, for or because, surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So Jesus did not come to help the angels. He came to, to help to save the offspring of Abraham. And we know from Galatians chapter 3, the offspring of Abraham are all those who are trusting Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to free all of us, offspring of Abraham, all of us who are trusting Jesus, he came to set us free from lifelong slavery to the fear of death. Then verse 17 starts with the word therefore, which shows this is a third main point. So because Jesus came to help all the offspring of Abraham, verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's the third main point. Jesus became flesh and blood so he could make propitiation, which means satisfy God's wrath for our sins. So here's the big picture of this passage. Here's like the arc of this passage. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. Jesus was born, became flesh and blood like us, first to destroy the devil's power to take us to eternal death, second to deliver us from lifelong slavery to the fear of death, and then third to make propitiation to satisfy God's wrath for our sins. Let's take each of these points then one at a time. I want to dig deeper and I'm praying that God will capture our hearts with the wonder of what Jesus Christ did in becoming a man, a human being with flesh and blood. Three reasons why. Let's start with that first main point. Jesus took on flesh and blood to destroy the devil's power to take us to eternal death. Read verse 14 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Let's talk about the devil for a moment here. The devil is a real supernatural being who has rebelled against God. He's very powerful. Although far less powerful than God, he's completely under God's control. And here we read that through death, Jesus destroys the devil. Now that does not mean that after the cross there was no more devil. We know that. Battle him every day, don't we? But what the author is saying here is that by dying on the cross, Jesus destroyed the devil's power to take us to eternal death. By dying on the cross, Jesus destroyed the devil's power to take us to eternal death, hell. Now let me give you some background for this. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of all of our sin, God has brought the curse of death to the world. The curse of death includes both physical death and the eternal death of being punished forever by God in, in hell. And as part of this curse, God gave the devil some power. He gave the devil power to hold us in his grip and to march us step by step, lockstep, march us toward our physical death after which we would be cast into hell. Part of God's curse was to give the devil that power. It's not that the devil is the ruler of hell. The devil himself is going to be cast into hell and suffer forever in hell. But as part of the curse, in God's justice, he allows the devil in this life to hold us in his grip, his iron, vice-like grip, hold us in his grip and to march us steadily towards physical death, at which time then we will be cast into hell because of our sin. So let this just sink into your heart as you think about those around us who don't know Christ, who are still in the iron vice grip of the devil being marched in lockstep towards their physical death. Your, your neighbor is being held in the devil's grip, your neighbor who's not trusting Christ. Your work associate, who's not trusting Christ, this morning is in the devil's vice-like iron grip. The students in your classroom aren't trusting Christ. Held in the devil's grip, being marched in lockstep towards their physical death, at which point they will be cast into hell forever. The reality of this, especially living in this country, surrounded by people, who are in the devil's grip. This should break our hearts. This should keep us up at night. This should make us weep. This is reality. This is what's happening in Abu Dhabi this morning. Yes, there's politics. This is far more important than politics. And there's the economy. This is far more important than the economy. There's COVID. This is far more important than COVID. This is what's happening in the world. Everyone is not trusting Christ. In Satan's grip, being marched towards physical death 
facing eternal judgments. But verse 14 says that Jesus destroyed this power of the devil. And he did this through death. Now, how does that work? Well, God had given the devil this power because of our sin. The reason you were in Satan's grip was because you'd sinned. That's why. And when Jesus died, he was punished for the sin of all those who trust him. So the moment you put your trust in Jesus, the fact that he died meant that he paid for all of your sin. So the moment you put your trust in Jesus, Satan's grip upon you, broken, released. You're free, huh. right? The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, Satan's power was destroyed. His grip upon you was released. You are a free woman. You're a free man. Which means that when you die, you will not be cast into eternal punishment. When you die, you're going to be welcomed into the unending joy, the ever-increasing joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ with your brothers and sisters forever. Jesus took on flesh and blood to destroy the devil's power to take us to eternal death. That's the first main point. So here's the big picture. Got the big picture? Here's the ark. Jesus was born and became flesh and blood like us to destroy the devil's power and to take us to eternal death. So picture the manger. Picture the baby in Mary's arms. He took on flesh and blood for that reason. To destroy the devil's power to take us to death. Second main point. Jesus took on flesh and blood to deliver us from lifelong slavery to fear of death. Verse 15. And deliver, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, the all those, again, refers to the children in the previous verses, those who are trusting Jesus Christ. But the point is that before we had our trust in Jesus Christ, we were all under lifelong slavery to the fear of death. All of us were. Deep down inside, we all knew that we had turned our backs on God, we were walking away from God. We were ignoring God. That's what the Bible calls sin. And so we all knew that because of our sin, when we died, we would face judgment from God forever. Deep down inside, we all knew that. And so we were all enslaved to the fear of death. That does not mean that we all constantly were thinking about dying what it means, though, is that we devoted our lives to drowning out any thoughts about death. Try to drown those out by accomplishments or by busyness. We try to drown those out by entertainment or alcohol or wrong philosophies or religions, like drowning it out with like thoughts of reincarnation or nirvana or just nothingness. We were enslaved to that fear of death, which made us work very hard to drowning out any of those thoughts so they wouldn't be in our minds. But it didn't work. You could never completely drown it out. 
deep down inside, lingering, you knew that that's where your destiny was leading you. So how did Jesus deliver us from this slavery? Again, by taking on flesh and blood so he could die on the cross and be punished for the sins of everyone who will trust him as their Savior, as their Lord, as their treasure. So because you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning, because you're loving him, trusting him, relying on him, you don't need to fear death. That's what this verse means. Satan's grip has been freed from you. All your sins have been forgiven. You will never face God's judgment. Instead, your future forever is the joys of being with God in heaven. That's why, because you're trusting Jesus, you do not need to fear death. Now, that's why I wanted to ask you this question at the beginning of this message. What do you feel when you think about the prospect of, of you dying? How do you feel about that? What emotions get stirred up? <laughs> no one who trusts Jesus needs to have any fear of death. None. One reason, the one this verse is talking about, is because your death is going to bring you face to face with your Savior, your Jesus, your love, your passion, bring you face to face with Him. No more walking by faith. Sight. Walking by sight. No more through a mirror dimly. Face to face with your Savior. So no one who trusts Jesus needs to have any fear of death because it's going to bring you to Him. But there are some other reasons we can fear death. I just want to cover those briefly here as well. I want to get all of them out of the way so that no one leaves here this morning, no one who's trusting Jesus leaves here this morning fearing death. Another reason is because we can fear the suffering of death, right? Death can be hard, and it, and it can be hard. And we can fear that, but you do not need to fear that. Because God will be right there with you, holding you. He's, he's got you. He's bringing you home. He will give you all the grace that you need for whatever mean, way He has you die, all the grace you need, all the comfort you need, all the strength you need. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but He will be with you, giving you all the grace you need, and He's going to be carrying you home through that process. So you don't even need to fear the process of dying because He will be with you. He promises. We also can fear death because we're concerned for our loved ones, right? My wife, my kids, whatever it might be, my, whoever you're responsible to care for. You don't need to be afraid for them. God will take care of them. He can take care of them better than you can take care of them. And He will take care of them. One last reason, though. You might fear death because you're living for things of this world. And death means you're not going to get the things you're living for. Is that you? Are you living for things of the world? If you're living for the things of the world and the thought of being with Jesus doesn't thrill you, then you need to, you need to ask the question, am I trusting Jesus? Am I trusting Him as my Savior, as my Lord, as my treasure? 
How can I be trusting him as my treasure if, if these things are my treasure? So ask yourself that question. And this morning, see, those things are emptiness. They've never satisfied you. They never will satisfy you. Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is living water. Jesus Christ is joy forever. So wake up. Turn your eyes off of those things. See who Jesus Christ is. Trust him and be free from the fear of death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let that remove the fear. We don't need to have any fear of death. About a year, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, I had a little bit of skin cancer underneath my eye here. And I went to the doctor, surgeon, took it out. And then the, the tumor board at the hospital, it's kind of a scary name, but the tumor board at the hospital uh, told my doctor, uh, you need to need to cut, cut out some more skin. This is, this is important. I thought, why is it important? What's going on here? And I was sitting at my desk. I'll never forget. I mean, again, some of you, this is a big deal for me. This is, for some of you, you've suffered much more than that and experienced much more frightening things than that, but this was big for me. Sitting at my desk thinking, I've got cancer, I guess, and, um, and it's serious. They want to take more skin out so it doesn't, doesn't, so they've got it all, I guess, is what it was. And all of a sudden, I just started to have fear. What's this going to mean? And I opened up my Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want to tell you what God did. Because we all struggle with fear of death from time to time, I'm sure, right? There's never any need for it, but it doesn't mean we don't do it, right? Here's what we do. Open up the Bible. The Bible, okay? Open up the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's what I read. First of all, I read verse 1. So comforting and encouraging. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's, that's our bodies, if the tent that is our earthly home, there's my body right there, we know that if that's destroyed, we have a building from God. You're going to move from a tent to a building, okay, from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, which will never be destroyed. And God used that verse just to say, Fuller, heaven is real. This is reality. You're on your way home. Okay? It's real. Because Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. You're going home at some point. Then I went down, I kept reading, and then I came to verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, Paul says, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me see that. Help me feel that. Be more real to me so I can, I can live for that more. And, and that's what the Lord did. Heaven, Jesus, became more real to me that afternoon. So real that my fear, it, it left. And I was completely at peace. And again, I'm fine. They got the rest of it out. It hasn't come back. But again, the point is we never need to fear death. When we do struggle with it, which we will from time to time, open up the scriptures, find promises that speak to whatever the specific fear is that you're dealing with, pray over those promises till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you and strengthens you and removes the fear. He will do that. Okay, here's what we've seen so far. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. Jesus was born 
taking on flesh and blood, first to destroy the devil's power, to take us to eternal death, and then second, to deliver us from lifelong slavery to the fear of death. Third main point, last main point. Jesus took on flesh and blood to make propitiation. That means to satisfy God's wrath for our sins. Verse 17, therefore, shows the main point is coming, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. One reason Jesus needed to partake of flesh and blood was so that he could be a high priest. Throughout Israel's history, Old Testament Israel, throughout their history, there was always a high priest who would offer animal sacrifices, which pictured, pointed ahead to the Messiah Jesus and how he would pay for our sins. And all those high priests were a prefiguring of the ultimate high priest, who was Jesus. And understand this, Jesus did not offer animals as sacrifices. Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice, himself on the cross. And that's why he needed to be flesh and blood, so he could be the sacrifice and suffer and die on the cross. And he died on the cross, this verse says, to make propitiation for our sins. That's a word we don't use very often. We should use it more often. I hope you all leave here this morning knowing what propitiation means. It means satisfying God's wrath. Satisfying God's wrath. Now let's talk a little bit about God's wrath. We have to understand the reality of God's wrath. God's wrath is not a temper tantrum. God's wrath is not Him stomping His feet, pouting. God's wrath is a holy, righteous, deliberate anger at how we have dishonored His infinite glory. That's God's wrath. Let me give you an illustration. Think about the Matterhorn Peak in Switzerland. Some of you maybe have been there. Beautiful, snow-capped, gleaming white Matterhorn. Glorious. Now, how would you feel? How much anger would you feel if somebody somehow with a helicopter lowered down by ropes spray-painted obscenities over the snow front of the face of the Matterhorn Peak? You would rightly be enraged at that. How can you do that? Dishonoring something of such great beauty and majesty and glory, that anger that you'd feel would be absolutely right. It'd be appropriate because great glory, great majesty is being dishonored. The Matterhorn is glorious, majestic, but listen, God created the Matterhorn. He made that glory and that beauty. God is infinitely more glorious and majestic and valuable and worthy than the Matterhorn. He's of infinite worth. And when we sin against God, we are saying, He shouldn't be obeyed. He can't be trusted. He's of no consequence. 
dishonor, 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 dishonor. And God's response is a holy, righteous, deliberate, white-hot wrath and anger against our sin. Do you understand that? The God of the universe has been enraged at you and at me. Oh, we need to feel that. We need to feel that. Unless we see how bad the bad news is, we will not see how good the good news is. We need to feel that. God's wrath and anger, holy, righteous, white hot, has been directed toward us and, and had to be poured out, had to be expressed. And so what happened? In stunning mercy and love and compassion, God the Father and Jesus the Son made a way for God's wrath to be poured out but not on us who trust Jesus. They decided that Jesus would be born as a man with a flesh and blood body that could suffer and feel pain and die. And on the cross, Jesus would be punished for the sins of all who would trust him. And, and the wrath that we deserve, the wrath that God has had against me, the wrath that God has had against you who are trusting Jesus was poured out not on us, but upon Jesus. God's deliberate, white-hot wrath against our sin was poured out upon Jesus. That's called propitiation. God's wrath was satisfied by being poured out upon Jesus. Jesus absorbed in himself all the wrath that, that God had against you because you're trusting Jesus. And because all of God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus, that means none of God's wrath is left for you. Do you see that? Every drop of God's wrath against your sin was poured out upon Jesus, which means there's not even a drop left that you're ever going to face. That's how Jesus made propitiation for our sins. An old-time preacher was, as read about this this week, he was trying to explain to his people. He wanted, wanted them to get, to get the cross. So he was asking them, do you know what was happening on the cross? Do you know what was taking place to Jesus there on the cross? Do you know what the cross was all about? Then he said, it was damnation. That's what it was. Damnation. And Jesus received it. He took it because he loves you. That's the cross. That's your Jesus. <laughs> That's your Savior. He took it because He loves you. You are facing deliberate, white-hot, righteous, holy wrath forever. And Jesus took it because He loves you. And then He rose from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, our Savior. Those are the three reasons, according to this passage, that Jesus was born. So again, think of Jesus in the manger, in Mary's arms, worshipped by the shepherds. Jesus was there with flesh and blood for three reasons. So he could destroy the devil's power 
to take us to eternal death so he could deliver us from lifelong slavery to the fear of death and so he could make propitiation, satisfy God's wrath for our sin. So let me ask you three questions. First, are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure? Are you trusting Him? Only you can answer that. Are you trusting Him? Look at His love. Look at His mercy, His compassion. Why would you keep clinging to the emptiness of sin when you can have the fullness, the love, the compassion, the reality of knowing Jesus Christ? Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, and your treasure? Look at who He is and trust Him right now. Trust Him. Second question, are you free from the fear of death? See, because you are trusting Jesus, your eternity in His presence forever with no judgment, no punishment, that eternity is secure. On the cross, He said, it is finished. The price had been paid. The purchase is complete. It's a done deal. Signed, sealed, delivered. You're His. So there's no reason to fear death. He'll be with you through whatever your physical death involves. He will take care of all of your loved ones. If you've been enslaved to the fear of death, if you've been battling this this morning, be free. Be freed from it. See what Jesus has done and be free from it. And then third, church, do you understand what this means for those who aren't trusting Christ? Do you understand that people are enslaved by the devil in his iron grip and that you have the words that God can use to set them free? Do you understand that? We are surrounded by people here who are in the devil's grip, who are in lockstep being marched to their physical death where they'll be cast into Hell, and you have the words that can make those chains fall off of them. You have the words that can set their hearts free. The words of the cross, the words of Jesus, the words of the gospel. That's how God saves people, changes people's hearts, brings them into forgiveness. They are enslaved, and you have the words that can set them free. So church, let's, let's wake up to this afresh. Oh, we can get sleepy, can't we? Oh, we can think something else is way more important. This is why we're here. This is why we're still alive. This is our call and our purpose. Let's tell them. Let's free them. Let's bring them home with us to glory. All for Jesus' praise and glory and honor. Let me pray for us. What a passage, Father. Thank you for Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. And thank you, Jesus, for taking flesh and blood on to destroy the devil's power, 
to take us to eternal death, to deliver us from lifelong slavery to fear of death, and to make propitiation, to satisfy the Father's wrath against our sin. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.